0: the addictions that occurred in these people, like they deserved better than the fall that they experienced. Like they did, they were young. We were so young, like to become addicted to drugs at that age, like people say it's a choice. It's not a choice. Like your, your, your brain chemistry is forever changed. And then if you stay on an opiate for an extended amount of time unknowingly, becoming physically dependent when you're a young when you're a teenager like you it's hopeless like as far as like your battle with addiction it is hopeless you will be battling it you don't become physically dependent on an opiate to the extent that um you know like an adult real life active addiction like you're not developing coping skills or parenting skills or communication skills or a work ethic or the ability to handle finances the ability to complete tasks and milestones and goals like you are literally becoming an addict and it's just a simple pain pill and you don't realize it like we all deserve better than all these things but it is what it is you know and and so I would have to really rationalize these things and, like, get on a level with a a teenage girl about her father who is in the streets, addicted to heroin, like, and I had to talk to her from a place of being the enemy. Like, she looks at me as, like, the nurturing enemy. That's a real thing. The one person that's there every day, the person that is, like, giving and providing and securing and blah, blah, blah. Like, that's the least, the person she's least interested in hearing from is me. But i'm the only one that can speak to her on this level i'm the only one that can play on both sides of this this really ugly coin where i'm explaining to this 13 14 15 year old child um the facts of life in a way and in her own language in a language that helps her understand it and i'm not even just saying verbally like i remember one time like just being at the at my wits end. And I, and I was like, okay. And I like drew a box like boxes on the sidewalk and I had her pick up rocks and like say a thing about your dad that you feel that you want. Okay. I want my dad to blah, blah, blah. And I would be like, what box does that go in? Is that ideal father? Or is that actual who your dad is? Like real dad, ideal dad. And she'd have to put it in the right box. And at the end of it, we did the exact same thing with her. Okay here's your boxes. Like here's ideal you. And here's real you ideal. You for me has blah, blah, blah. What box does it go in? So I'd put it in the ideal box, ideal box. And at the end of it, I'm like, is this fair? You know, like trying to give her a visual representation of, you know, these, these expectations that she's not managing. Like I am not standing in a, in a place of like, when I say I've been dealing with this for so many years, I really have, I really, really have I really have, you know, her, um, paternal aunt and I have like, we, we definitely have been through it and we've sacrificed so much trying to just like shelter her trying to give her all the same things that all the people that have argued with me about my tactics or my opinions, like I have battled this and protected her and been hurt and rejected. And I have been um at a loss and trying to figure out how to overcome certain things and i have spent all of my money like i didn't have help from the state y'all talk about rehoming basically my child was a rehome situation because once the department of children and family services was involved initially from the initial call like the initial removal and placement with her dad and and myself getting involved like once that happened They came in and they did a couple of home like assessments or whatever, and they were gone. And because I wouldn't actively or I couldn't really actively pursue the biological mom for child support because I didn't know where she was. I couldn't get her served with papers. The last residence, she didn't live there anymore, whatever. It just became overwhelming. They didn't want to help. They wanted to pursue um, the biological mom. And I just let it fall And so did um, her dad. Like we just let it kind of go and let it be what it was. She was on a no contact order. We left it like that. And I just paid cash for medical things, for dental, for her lunch. I paid for everything because we didn't have Medicaid. We didn't have food stamps. We didn't have any of that stuff. Um, You know, I did all of that for years. And so did her aunt. So when I say that, like I've been through these things. You know, when I like had really been burnt out and I just was so at my wit's end and I couldn't really take it anymore. I was working full-time plus I was taking five college classes. I had full entire um guardianship of her. We lived at the beach, which was like 45 minutes away from everything else we had to do. I was paying a shitload of money in before care and after care and like she wanted to go live with her aunt so bad. I mean, it's all she like literally she just stopped participating. She got extremely difficult in school. Like she would defecate her clothes on purpose and she would tell me like if I if I cause enough chaos, I know I can go live with my aunt. And I just eventually was like, "What am I This isn't <laughs> this isn't positive." So, she went and lived with her aunt. And during that time, like oh, I mean, I had I had, I didn't handle that correctly. I'll say I had, I took her there and you know, her aunt and I weren't communicating very well at the time. Um, it it was just really messy. And up until that moment, she had no idea that I wasn't her biological mom. So she's eight years old. And then she found out through a guidance counselor at school. It was like a whole mess. I mean, I have done it all wrong. Like I've done it all wrong in like trying to learn from those Mistakes and trying to understand the psychology, trying to understand attachment, trying to understand how to best serve this child with whatever skills I have. Um, I have been to therapy, she has been in therapy, like I have done all the things. Okay, so when we look at my opinion about biology, attachment, and what's right and what's wrong, etc., like understand. (laughs) That whether I'm giving every, like, a play-by-play detailed to the moment of my life in in this world, when I say the things like, I've been there, I've done it, I you know, in this situation, I, I have experience for this reason, whatever. Like, I have literally been trying to figure out how to best manage this from one extreme. Like, this child does not know that I am not her biological mom. Okay. Like for eight years, whatever to, you know, the better part of eight years, um, to, to literally like advocating for how she should move forward in her relationship with her biological parents, both of them, one of which she hasn't spoken to at all since she's like 18 months old. (laughs) Like she hasn't seen her or talked to her since she was 18 months old. Like And that's a very difficult situation. For many years, I felt the same feelings about this person who was like so ungrateful and she was worried about all the wrong things. Like when she tried in the very beginning, she just wanted to hear like um, my kids say mommy to her. She just didn't want to lose the title mom. And she was really petty and it was really, it was really fucking difficult. Like I was enraged by it. I didn't understand how she couldn't be more grateful. Like, for what I was giving this child like nobody asked me to do this like I have really and truly like given up my own life to take care of a kid that you haven't even tried to take care of and I was devastated at her like who she became as a person like I just couldn't believe this used to be my best friend and I mean it was very messy like very very messy a lot of emotions a lot of unrealistic expectations a lot of hoping she would fail I was that person like it gets to a point where you're like, you know, I want you to fail and and you somehow rationalize that. Like you think um, if you keep failing and I keep doing the right thing, this will bring us closer or this will validate my position or this will make it easier for me to win in court or like try it if you want, but you've only failed. So you just keep failing and I'll keep not failing and then eventually you'll be obsolete, like that's not how it works. This isn't um a game of strategy. It is it is illogical. It's emotional. It's it doesn't make any sense. You know, like it doesn't make any sense on paper, but it makes all the sense in the world. When we talk about biological parents and when we talk about attachment and when we talk about the lack of attachment and what anxious attachment um you know the seeking of this healing for a primal wound basically like these children suffer in huge ways and then they cause suffrage and most of that suffrage is caused by the lack of education the lies of the system this whole system is built on lies okay like attachment is not something that you can you can not experience when you're supposed to in the developmental process like as a as an infant if you don't attach So therefore you have the reactive attachment disorder process in play. And then a person comes in at some point, whether it's within the first couple of months or that first year or whatever, even, you know, it doesn't matter. Like if a person comes in and starts trying to bond and attach, all of those efforts are, are those sacrifices, all of those things are felt, especially by the adoption adoptive parent or the fostering parent or whatever, these are real efforts on their behalf. And these are real um, attempts to recreate something that the system tells them that they can recreate. They just need to be loved. They just need consistency. They just need longevity and they need to, you know, know that you're not going to abandon them when the going gets tough. Like this lie is perpetuated as though you can just kind of um, put building blocks of secondary attachment on top of the primal wound really like that isn't true and this thing that like oh reactive attachment disorder is so rare also isn't true and like if we really tap into who we are as as like humans we would understand very easily if you could just take away your your politics take away your religious beliefs take away your 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 politics in in all aspects of your life right all of your your really rigid very bipartisan you know, liberal, conservative, you know, parenting beliefs or like, this is how I believe adoption to be because of religion. Like if you just take all that shit and you get rid of it and you just think simply like, okay, when a human makes a genetic contribution, okay, in, in, in conceiving a child with another human and one of those humans grows a third human in their body. And they literally make a human being in their body. Inside of their body, they make a person. Okay? From another person's genetic contribution and theirs, they then build this human in their baby-making factory that is their body. This child is literally built of their genetic components, their DNA. They are made inside of this woman. They... Feel, hear, and experience everything from her womb, okay, and then when they come out, they expect this person that made them, the voice that they've heard, the um, all of these like hormonal things that they've experienced inside of her, from her, with her, whatever. When this baby comes out into the world, and those people that contributed genetically and made this baby in their body are not protecting. They're not bonding. They're not attaching. This wound is major. It's major. It's major. It's way bigger than anything we are giving any attention to. The system tells us that we can fix it. We can't just fix it. It's not that easy. When a child is supposed to be attaching to a parent and they don't, it's not like, oh, any caregiver will do. Bullshit. Bullshit. This baby's been waiting nine months to meet you. You pop the baby out and then this adoptive family is standing at the door and they rush, out, rush in and they take the baby and they do skin to skin. Like, that's a joke. That's a joke. That's not real. And I'm so sorry that that offends people, that they don't want to hear that. But, like, literally, how can we not give consideration to the facts? And the facts are... My genetic contribution and this other person's genetic contribution and my actual body parts, my organs created and built another human being inside of my body, in my body. If you don't bond with that baby when it comes into the world and you think as a whole nother party, like you're a whole third party to this event, that you can somehow just like slide in there with your totally different sounds and the incorrect smells and like the lack of oxytocin and all of these things like that you can just fix it and make it into the same kind of relationship. It's just not true. It's not true. And the only person that I've experienced that can really make any changes or, It's not that they can fix it, but they can definitely change the trauma. It's the biological mom. And, like, people get so mad at me for saying that. People in the system literally say, like, in social services, literally say things. And this is actually what I wanted to talk about and totally got on a rampage, but whatever. Um, I asked a question to somebody in a group that's, like, trying to foster to adopt that turned out to be a social worker herself. I asked a question about a local city and what their requirements were for education and training. What do they do, you know, what do they require before they, um, you know, finalize a placement in a foster to adopt situation? And basically she said there are some services, they do have X amount of training, but you, you know, as a social worker myself, which is the moment I discovered she's a social worker, as a social worker myself, I can tell you that um, it's a tricky balance because it definitely... The more education and training there are, the less people we have wanting to adopt. And as you know, that can be devastating. Wait, what? So there's your proof. Like right there. Everything I've been saying that people argue with me about. I say all the time. All the time. The intentions are clear. People lie to keep the cycle of placements rotating quickly we have a lot of children we need to place them as soon as possible we need to get them into homes at whatever cost so we say that rad is rare it's not rare it's not rare at all actually it's actually super common it's almost probably more common that reactive attachment disorder is something that a child that's being especially adopted from a foster situation because foster care is not meant to be permanent Reunification is the goal and if that doesn't happen and this child gets placed with a family permanently, like their fucking birth certificate changes from you were born to this human who really birthed you to this person you've been placed with is now going to read as your birth parent. They're not the birth parent. Their identity is completely hijacked and... I understand that the United States of America really loves to protect adoptive families. This is why I say I'm I'm on a completely polar different, like where I stood like 12 years ago, 10 years ago and where I stand today, polar opposites, what I believe and what I feel today after all of these years is totally different. I believed that that was the right way to go for children 10, 12 years ago, where I stand right now. I'm a fucking appalled that we hide the real genuine true identities of children that were meant to reunify and we made it very difficult. We didn't have the resources, whatever it may be, I'm not gonna get off on those tangents because that's a whole different topic that I really am passionate about. But these the parents didn't make their deadline, they didn't do what they were supposed to do, whatever it is, so they didn't reunification didn't happen. And now these foster parents who have been rooting for the parents a lot of time, a lot of time They've been rooting for the parent to fail, making it difficult for the parent to win every possible junction, like juncture, like they, they definitely are not hoping that the parent, the biological parents reunify after it's been three years or whatever it may be. So they win, right? Like the parent fails, they're going to close the case. They need to go ahead and terminate rights. And they um, adopt these foster to adopt children. They permanently place them with this family, with this couple, with this whatever, so now this child, however old, has a birth certificate that says they are of these other pa- parents and they're not. And we're pretending that this is something that these children should be so grateful for. Like they should be so grateful that you've made this wonderful sacrifice to like rescue them from the, the you know, like being an orphan or being like a, a ward of the state. You know, these terms that get used all the time. Do you wanna go to foster care? Like you have no idea. Well no, like (laughs) I do want to go back to foster care because at least in foster care, I had the right or the option or the possibility of being reunified with my biological family. Um, now that I'm in a permanent placement with this beautiful house and these beautiful sacrifices and this wonderful education and all this financial opportunity or whatever it is that you're offering me, like now that closes the door and a relinquishment, a termination of rights. It's a, it's a whole another trauma. Like it's, it's really, really devastating. And whether that child is three years old or 13 years old, it doesn't matter. Like the limbic system knows the, the child knows. And that's why there's always, not always, but many times there's, there's a very strong, um, combative essence in the child they don't want to integrate they're not or they do they do want to integrate because they want to make you happy and they want all the the feelings that are like instigating this fight-or-flight response and they're like always in survival mode like they want to relax and they want to feel like they're part of this and they they want to let their guard down but they can't and it's just like a, a lot on a fucking kid it's a lot on a fucking kid when all a kid wants is that person that made them inside their body to like show up for them So 65,000 other people could show up and like take a number and like bow down at the feet of a child, uh, at the feet of a child and offer them everything under the fucking sun. And their homeless, drug addicted parent on the other side of the road could just simply throw up a hand and say like, Hey buddy, I'm over here. That child will 95% of the time choose their fucking biological parent. And like people want me to say something that isn't true. They want me to say something about this that isn't fact. And I don't know what else to say. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, use your real, true intellect. Like, like dig really deep and think about these, these statements. Like, what makes you believe that, like, rushing through a fucking template-guideline expectation of a case plan for a parent... And them not being able to obviously meet these expectations when they're at their bottom. Like that going through that, them failing, and then you stepping up as an outsider is like the best possible choice in in allocation of resources for a child. It's just, it's silly to me. It's silly to me at this point in my life and where I sit after all of these experiences I've had. By the way, my child with her biological father doing better than ever. Sadly for me right like I mean I couldn't make he's sober one year and gets her and like she's you know really trying and doing all these things whatever and even when she complains about certain things that are happening she's like literally will go out of her way to like backpedal because no matter how tough it's been or how pissed off I get about something that I feel you know isn't right or whatever she wants to make sure that nobody's going to take her from her dad because she'd rather deal with whatever the hell's going on over there than be taken away again like this is her piece this is what she's wanted and like now it's on him to give her a more full version of a father and like to bond with her and to hear her and they have to work that out together and it's hard from the outside to watch because I have all those same feelings that everybody else that listens to this podcast has I feel like oh and after all these years and who are you to say and who are you to make the rules and like where were you and like don't forget I know all the things and like blah 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 like I feel and I feel like I, I feel like an outsider. I feel like it's unfair. I feel like I'm, you know, it's, it was a thinkless job and I've been overlooked. But that isn't even fact. Like, that's just my emotional, defensive, pit, pity, poor, pitiful me, petty self, getting, getting too caught up on my selfish feelings and what I want and what I feel I should have instead of being realistic and logical and also happy for the truth of what's unfolding. I sent her there for a reason because things were out of control. She was doing the actual most. Okay? We moved across the country again to give her the best opportunity at education in a safe neighborhood and this whole different experience, and she totally blew it in all the most horrifying ways. And the only thing I could think is to send her to her dad, so maybe now that he's, you know, on his on his way, like maybe now he can start to, re, you know, repair. And that's exactly what's worked for her shocking. Like, I'm not, like, I'm not, (laughs) I'm not speaking from a place of like, uh, from an outsider that's been looking on to, to attachment and, you know, caregivership and adoption and fostering. Like I live this every day of my life. And this isn't me telling anybody else's story. This isn't me talking about how my wife feels or how my kid feels or how her dad feels or whatever. This is me telling you my exact experience and how I ended up where I am. So there it is. That's, that's what this podcast is going to be. It's going to be my the most in-depth version of my story so far. So, fuck. There you go. Hopefully it helps somebody. Hopefully you guys make it through. It's way too long. It's probably extremely unorganized as usual. And totally not my objective. But it's what happened. So, yeah. Reactive Attachments Podcast. At Reactive Attachments on Instagram. On Facebook. You can email me at reactiveattachments at gmail.com. Um... If you want to leave a message for me on Anchor, you can leave a voice message there. If you want to um, call, if you have like a desire to call or to text, I do have a phone number. I'm going to get that for you now. Um, if you want to give feedback and tell me how much you hate me, that's fine. We also have a YouTube now, so there's that. There's um, reactive attachments on YouTube. I try to put the, like the, a video version of the podcast up. Um, people have been asking for me to actually like do videos so that my inflection and my mannerisms and whatnot can be seen. And that's something that I am working towards, but it's not convenient for me at this time. So the phone number, if you want to send a text or you ever need a call, you're in an emergency situation. I do have a business number for reactive attachments. The number is 719-315-0858. Again, that's 719-315-0858. So you can leave a voicemail, you can send a text, um, and I will do my best to get back to you, you know, as soon as I can. So check us out on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, at Reactive Attachments. Send me an email, reactiveattachments.gmail.com. Listen to the podcast wherever you like to listen to podcasts. And, again, the phone number if you ever have an emergency or you just want to reach out in a more direct manner, 719-315-0858. All right, guys, thank you. Bye.